This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we've got protected lists, we've got awards, and we've got producer Donnie on the show. The Back of the Birds star joined us to talk about getting back into the PLL and into the media world. Plus, Coach Pete Milliman from the Iroquois Nationals and Johns Hopkins University. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews quick stick. Are you kidding me? Why Dylan Ward? I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh wow. Flair right down the middle, shoots and he scores! Another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. No NLL, so there's no real new leading clips from the NLL. But still a lot to talk about. He is Pat Greg. You can find him on Twitter at Pete Greggy. My name is Teddy Jenner at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. You can find us on Twitter on Instagram at OTCB Podcast. Patty, what is good? What's going on in Ontario these days? Same old, same old, lots of lacrosse coming through, whether it's senior, junior, junior A, junior B, junior C, minor lacrosse is buzzing right now too. So all is good if you're a lacrosse fan, a lacrosse player, a lacrosse broadcaster, or a lacrosse parent even. Things are are, are going well here in Ontario. How about um, BC? How are things there? Uh, things are good. Wait, are, are you calling games this summer at all? Nothing on the docket uh, as of right now. Just uh, was a bit too swarmed with the NLL postseason kind of going into the start of the season. A lot of uncertainty which was going on um, with the MSL, the Oakville Rock. Um, So obviously they didn't have a MSL season to broadcast anyways, uh, but I probably wasn't going to go back for this season uh, anyways, but uh, nothing on the docket yet. Uh, but certainly going to try to call some games soon because just like players, man, you got to keep your tools sharp as you know that. That, that is a true story. Uh, so that's probably why uh, one of our guests this week will be producer Donnie, who uh, of the back of Bert the Bird fame, uh, national title with Maryland. But he's looking for your job, apparently, because he's doing some OJ games. Yeah, and he's doing a damn good job as well. Him and Matthew Carrick already just calling a few games together. They have built some great chemistry. And, uh, yeah, he he sees the game well. Obviously, him being such a high IQ lacrosse player, uh, he's got some great one-liners already. I, I'm really happy for him. I, I'm excited. But, hey, Donnie, let's pump the tires a little bit. 
let's let's not come for my job while you're still playing the game. Okay, save you save something for the, the rest king of us. right away. You can't come for the <laughs> king right away. No, 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 no. Not the king. Not the king. Uh, we call you the king because you're the 2022 Barrera Award winner, my man. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks honestly to everyone who who's reached out um, via social media, text message. Uh, it was it was overwhelming. It was humbling. It was uh, truly an honor. And uh, you know, just this year, all in all, uh, has been such a, a dream come true. Being able to broadcast this this beautiful game from you know coast to coast, uh, North America, and uh, to cap off by you know being acknowledged by my peers and and other members across the National Lacrosse League, it, it really is rewarding. And um, thank you everyone for the support. It, it's uh, I, I was speechless when it happened, and that's hard to do because as you guys know, I, I'm pretty long winded. <laughs> you do like to talk. Um, an incredible honor, my man. Uh, it, you're so very well deserving and uh, I couldn't happen to a nicer guy who's done so much from, you know, doing the cool bet stuff and helping them get on board with the game of lacrosse and, and the Thunderbirds and the TSN game of the week and here on the show, you're a very busy man and uh, you, you deserve it. You also deserve a nice long rest of that voice. So don't, you know, lose it coaching tonight on Thursday, game three, <laughs> heads, but um, honestly, dude, you deserve it. And, uh, such an honor, um, to, to know that you are a brilliant award winner. So congrats again, buddy. Um, the other NLL awards that have been handed out, uh, the only ones who haven't been handed out MVP rookie of the year, all pro and rookie teams. Uh, those come out Thursday after we've recorded. So, uh, we don't have those, but, uh, quickly let's go through them. Defender of the year was announced on Wednesday, uh, the guy that you've been heavily pushing all year long in Mitch Disnew finally gets the recognition. Um, it, it, it's an awesome award for Mitch to win, uh, but Steve Priolo just just can't win one of these things. And I know Scott Loeffler went to bat for him on Twitter, and, and, and I agree. I, I believe Mitch uh, w- had a fantastic year, but one of these years, Priolo's got to win this award before he's done. It's crazy and it's almost like it's almost like because how consistent he has been, uh, he hasn't maybe got the amount of votes that he deserves or the recognition that he does deserve. Yeah. Because when you look at Mitch DeSnew's game, and I I'm not trying to take anything away. Full transparency, he was at the top of my ballot, whether uh, any any sort of conversation when it came to voting for this award. But with that being said, a big reason why I think a lot of people had him on his ballot is because he took his game to the next level. He went from a good or a great defender to an elite level defender once he joined the Toronto Rock. He still had that hard-nosed in-your-face sandpaper game that he had in Buffalo, but maybe he wasn't taking as many penalties. He added that dynamic of transition and skill that we saw him display in Oakville in the summer or with Whitby in the summer or even at Drexel when he was an attackman. Uh, That part of his game came out. And it just, he had the perfect blend, was playing on one of the best defensive teams, you know, racked up so many cost turnovers, loose balls and career numbers and, and everything, including points. It's hard not to give it to him. Yeah. But then you have steady Eddie, Steve Priolo, <laughs> who just season in, season out, 
is one of the best defenders. And I think it's because he doesn't have the eye popping numbers that unfortunately he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. And it's crazy that he hasn't because he's probably in the top three of everyone's ballots each year. Yeah. But I guess he's not enough the time at number one, but he's going to get one. He's way too damn good not to get one, Teddy. Yeah. Forever the bridesmaid, always never the bride. Hopefully he becomes the bride in that regard because, yeah, I think it, it's just crazy. You know, you, you look at the guys that he, he's run into, you know, Rubish, and then you think it's his year, but then Hossett comes in and has an outstanding career. And then you think it's his year, and Disnew has a career year. So maybe he just has to go out and have a career year. Like just have an un like climb 17 mountains in preseason, getting himself in condition and ready to go. And then just come and just not let anybody ever get by him. Like it's almost like he has to just have the greatest year for a defender ever for him to get the recognition. But um, congratulations to Mitch Snoo as he wins defender of the year. Uh, probably one of the easiest to pick was Zach Courier winning transition player of the year. Like we talked about it last week, the year he had in any other year, it, it's probably Reed Bowering, um, or it could even have been Challen or Kyle Matisse. But Zach Courier just took his game to a completely new level. Yeah, I, I we didn't talk about maybe surprises uh, when it came to when these nominees came out. Yeah. But for me, the biggest surprise, the two biggest surprises were one, Mike Messenger not being a, a finalist for yeah. this award. The other one was the fact that we didn't see Courier as an MVP finalist. I thought he was going to try, like, you know, work his way up into the top three of MV, MVP voting. He didn't, yeah. but he finally got that elusive transition player of the year award that, you know, in the same breath, similar to Steve Priolo, it seemed like he was the runner-up to Challen Rogers every single year. And not to take anything away from Challen Rogers' season because he was tremendous. And I think he's a guy that, you know, any other year he probably is is winning his third straight year. But the numbers that Courier displayed, the fact that he was that heart and soul guy for Calgary during the tough times and during the good times when they yeah. started winning near the end of the year – you kind of put that all together and it's hard not to, to give him that title. Uh, we talked about it last week, the fact that there were two Buffalo Bandit players in the MVP finalists and, you know, a, a messenger doesn't get in there. A courier doesn't get in there. Um, again, proceeds to the point that we were making. There needs to be a, an MOP and an MVP because, how can two guys be MVPs of their own team? That's just that's just the way that the voting went, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's just crazy to think that that that, that happened. Um, goal of the year, Matt Vince claims his eighth of the year and continues to stake his claim as the greatest of all time between the pipes. And just over, you know, surpassed a thousand minutes, one of four goalies to do that. Led the NLL in wins with 14, 744 saves, a .807 save percentage. Bandits go 14 and four. Just continues to be so good each and every year. Uh, Milestones he hit this year. 13,000th career minute played. No other players ever played 12,000. 9,000th save. 
No other player has more than 7,500 saves. 133 of those seasons win. No other player has 110. Also contributed with nine assists on the season, third among goaltenders. But just, I know Jake Elliott went on a rant about what Dallas Elliott has been saying um, about the words that you said about Matt Vince and being the GOAT and how Dallas took offense to that. It's obviously a generational discussion that happens with every position, every league, every sport through the annals of time. There will always be that discussion. But you cannot doubt or really argue the amount of success that he has had in this sport at his position and doing it until he's in his 40s. It is just absolutely bananas. And to discredit him is just silly. I won't go in, into too, too much there, but I, I just wanted to, I, I, I just wanted to go into one thing here. Since 2010, here are the list of winners of the goaltender of the year award. <laughs> 2010, Matt Vince with the Orlando Titans. Yep. 2011, Matt Vince with the Rochester Nighthawks. 2012, Mike Poulin with the Calgary Roughnecks. 2013, 14, and 15, Matt Vince of the Rochester Nighthawks. 2016, Evan Kirk with the New England Black Wolves. 2017, Dylan Ward, the Colorado Mammoth. 2018, 2019, Matt Vince with the Rochester Nighthawks. 2020, Doug Jamison with the New England Black Wolves. And 2022, Matt Vince with the Buffalo Bandits. Insane. There has only been two years that Matt Vince hasn't won consecutive or multiple goaltender of the year awards in a row. That's just insane to me. <laughs> like he loses it and then he wins it. So what you're saying is even though he's 40, Matt Vince is about to go on a run here. Well, analytics would certainly say <laughs> that he's due for, for a back to back here and, science would probably back it up because he's an absolute specimen and in tremendous shape. Uh, but who knows? <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Uh, but what, what he's been able to do for longevity, winning this also with three different teams is, is quite remarkable. And there's no denying that what he has done over this long period. Um, it's just insane. It's insane to see. Uh, announced on Tuesday, Coach of the Year, Tracy Kaluski. Uh, we all felt that he was a runaway winner, and in his first season as a head coach to win this award after the great Les Bartley, uh, just an incredible honor. He's the third coach to win the award as a first year and the first to win the award as a rookie coach for an expansion team. So that just says a lot about the season that he had in his first year behind the bench down there in Fort Worth. Uh, Steve Dietrich from the Buffalo Bandits uh, is the general manager of the year. His third award tying him with Derek Keenan for the most all time. Uh, the Bandits finish 14 and four. They get Dehoga, They get Connor Fields. 
They get Kyle Buchanan. He really did a good job in orchestrating that team to be a championship contender. Both those, like, I mean, I want to touch on both real quick. Yeah. TK, I think we we waxed pretty poetically last week about how, how great of a job he's done. And quite frankly, all season long, we really did that. But I think it just goes to show you how good of a job that he did because it's rare you'll see a coach of the year or a general manager of the year win an award without making the postseason. I know they were very close, but that just speaks volumes of how far he took this team. And a lot of people, and I think yourself included, um, you know, had Bob Hamley as general manager of the year award as well, as well. And I think he can make a case, but what Steve Dietrich did. And I think just people just, when they think of the bandits, they just think of the core that's been intact for a while. They don't really realize all the other moves that Dietrich did in the off season to really try to solidify them and, and turn into a championship team. And they came pretty damn close to doing it. So kudos to him uh, for almost getting there. And and I think that maybe was the the separate. And also let's keep in mind too, these awards were voted before the playoffs begun. Yes. Um, And and look what they did during the regular season, Uh, truly a historic year for that bandits team. Uh, Jamie Duckwin is second executive of the year award. They're coming back in 2013. Obviously, um, a lot of the talk about Jamie Dowick was his decision to move from downtown Toronto to Hamilton, uh, the Bermuda of Canada. (laughs) And I think a lot of people were wondering if it would work. And obviously, at the start of the season, with everything that happened with COVID and not being able to have fans and barely making any money, for his club in the first better half of the season. And then to see what the crowd was like when they were really allowed in there. And yes, again, votes were done before the playoffs, but the fans that they had in those last couple home games and at the playoff game against Halifax, just an incredible atmosphere has been built there in the hammer. And I think the team really has found a new home that is going to be very successful for them. Yeah, the Hammer is officially Rock City. They're a lacrosse town, and yeah, it was it was a brash and it was a bold decision. But isn't that what Jamie Dowick's all about? That's the type of guy he is. He, he he's going exactly. He's a gambler, right? He could have folded and decide to find a different spot in Toronto or continue and just to fork out money in, in Scotiabank Arena. Instead, he puts his chips in and 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 takes a risk, and it pays off immensely. And I think another part that goes into this award is the fact that, you know, many teams decided to postpone. I shouldn't say many teams. Some teams decided to postpone games. Yeah. Uh, some teams, you know, didn't have the, the, you know, the task of playing in front of zero fans. Some of the, the teams, it was, you know, limited fans, whatever it may be. But he said, you know what? No, these are TSN games of the week. We have sponsorships on the line. We have already canceled way too many games over the last two years. We need to keep this momentum going. And he took a financial risk there as well, playing in front of zero fans, but he knew how important that TSN deal was and how important it was 
for the best interest in the league, the stakeholders, the sponsors, and it allowed the NLL to continue to truck on. And when people were back in, in seats, it was like nothing skipped a beat in Hamilton. It was back to where, what you guys saw when you were there for the, the inaugural mm-hmm. home opener in Hamilton. And you could even argue it got better and better as the season went along. So I, I'm super happy for Jamie Dowick. Uh, it was a, it was something that kind of happened. I don't want to say on the wrong foot, but there was some sour tastes in the mouths of oh, some yeah. Hamiltonians, the way it, it kind of came with the, the name and all that. But I think the, the, the majority of the bridges have been mended and there are a ton of new NLL and Toronto rock fans in Hamilton. Oh, just the, after that first game, just being in the bar across the street afterwards, and it was pinned shoulder to shoulder. And there was hundreds of people in rock jerseys having a great time. Some of the players came across the street and had a couple pops, but it was just, you love to see that. And yeah, I think there were a little sourness with Hamilton fans. I think there was probably some sourness from fans that are east of Toronto that probably weren't ever going to make that trek to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jamie Dowick did an incredible job creating a, a new environment for his club. And you're right. Hamilton is definitely rock city for, for the future. And I, I'll still say this. I really, I really think they need to wear the yellow more often. Um, I think they're just a, a really cool color look. Uh, the logos are great. Um, and I think it'd be a good homage to their new home. Uh, Sportsmanship Award, uh, sh- shocker, Lyle Thompson, fourth <laughs> consecutive Sportsmanship Award. Um, and Jeremy Thompson, his older brother, wins a teammate of the year award. Um, I think it was Adam Levy put it on Twitter where he said, if you need more confirmation that the Thompson family is just an incredible family, look no further than these two men winning these two awards. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to see. And these, I think these were two names that we threw around when we were talking about who could potentially win. And I mean, it's a no brainer with Lyle Thompson that I think once he retires that this might be renamed the, the Lyle Thompson sportsmanship award, he has dominated it, but he embodies what a sportsman is all about, right? He respects the game. He respects his opponents, but he plays it fierce. Every time he touches the turf, it's uh, and it means more than just a game for Lyle Thompson. So that's a no brainer. And for Jeremy Thompson, he, you know, he's a new teammate in that locker room, but he did just about everything his coaching staff asked him to do. He was on the power play. He was playing transition. He took face-offs. He was a local vocal um, leader in that locker room. He was a guy that needed to be leaned on in the locker room as, as a leader because there's so many young, inexperienced players in that locker room. And you saw what happened at the start of the year, but he ended up helping turning that season around on that five game winning streak and almost getting into the postseason. So no brainer as well for, for Jeremy Thompson, the, the teammate of the year award is always puzzling to me how you vote on it. But at the same time, if you've ever played with Jeremy Thompson, I don't think anyone's really has ever said anything bad about that guy. Um, I don't think Tracy Klutsky ever played for Les Bartley, but I just, I looked down this list, like, and it's so aptly named after 
the late great Les, but maybe outside of Tony Tony Resch, Bob McMahon, Chris Hall, Adam Mueller, Joe Sullivan, and maybe TK, maybe level two of guys that weren't ever coached or that were coached by less. Like it's incredible. The coaching tree that he has produced and how many of them have been rewarded for their work and all the lessons they learned from less. It's just, it's just crazy to see how much impact he has had on the NLL coaching lifestyle. So uh, congratulations to all those winners again Thursday, uh, the day that our podcast comes out, they're announcing MVP, Rookie of the Year, and the All-Pro and All-Rookie teams. So stay tuned to NLL.com for all of those winners. And congratulations to everyone who has won so far. The other news of the week uh, is the protected lists were announced. And we kind of talked about them last week. And, and now we know who is available and we're going to give you who we think is going to be taken. Um, let's just go alphabetically. Uh, Albany, I'm going to go with Jackson Nishimura, uh, the speedster transition player. i uh, gotten a chance to watch him a few times here with the Victoria Shamrocks where he's playing this summer. I think he would be a great addition. Uh, he's already learning the West Coast lifestyle out here. I think he would be a fantastic fit the desert. Uh, you know, big beach boy, I'm a big fan of his game, big fan of his character. And I know it killed Albany not to have this guy protected. They are mm-hmm. a big fan of his game. They're a big fan of him. They, they know a lot about him as well, but you look at the, the protected list, who are you going to take off there? And that's just, it, it comes down to a numbers game. So mm-hmm. I certainly could see a world where he does get selected but for me, I'm going with John LaFontaine, a veteran, a guy that has a lot of experience coaching minor lacrosse with Sean Williams. They have a, a previous True. relationship. So I think this could be an opportunity where Sean Williams says, hey, I can get a veteran. I can get a guy that I have a, a relationship with. And maybe he is a guy that's wearing a letter uh, on a jersey at one of the inaugural leaders of the desert dog. So I, I think I went with LaFontaine, but Nishimura, man, I don't think there's a team around the league that wouldn't want that guy in their, their, their lineup. Uh, the next three, we kind of all agree on um, Buffalo Connor fields uh, as a trade back landing Kells from Calgary, the young goaltender, and then Colorado Dylan Kinnear. Um, which one do you kind of want to focus on more? Well, I'll let you go on. I think you probably would want to talk to about Kinnear. Yeah. I want to talk about Kells a little bit here. Yeah. Um, what he's been doing in major series lacrosse is quite impressive. He, you know, obviously in Peterborough, they just have a boatload of goalies at their dispense. But right now, you know, Mike Pullen's only played, I think, one or two games. We haven't seen Matt Vince play yet. Uh, I don't know if Evan Kirk is committed to playing this year. Um, so in comes Len, Landon Kells, and he's been great. A couple of 40-plus saves. I got to see him last year uh, at the OJLL tournament, the, the two-week season that they had, and he was a man playing amongst boys. Like, Peterborough had a very young roster. They did that on purpose, too. They wanted to see what they have for the future, 
And he kept them in every single, like Peterborough did. I don't think they got blown out once and they probably should have, but Kells just stood on his head. He's a big yeah. body. Uh, he, he plays his angles. Well, uh, I also saw him play uh, at the founders cup a few years ago with Alora. So I've seen a lot of them. So maybe this is a, a bias of me, but I just love his game. And I think he's a guy that has an opportunity here uh, to get a chance. Cause if he stays in Calgary, man, like he's, he's going to be behind Del Bianco for a long time. So this yeah. might be his best opportunity to kind of break free and, and get an opportunity. And before you get in your next point, Connor Fields, we both agree. It's gotta, ha- it has to just be, he's yeah. too good to not take him and try to trade back. We know he's not going uh, out to Vegas. Like he wanted to come home to Buffalo. He wanted to be closer to family, want to be closer to work. But you have that good of a player just sitting there. It's too tempting not to scoop him up and say, all right, boys, Chugger, what can I get for for Fieldsy now? Um, Yeah, Dylan Kinnear, we finally probably won't see Chris Wardle drafted and traded back for like the fourth straight expansion draft. (laughs) Um, And I think he's probably happy about that. Um, I I like the Kinnear pick, but I I, I just like his game. He's gritty. He's grindy. He's played some big minutes for Colorado over the years. But I... What do you think the ask will be on the flip for Connor Fields? I think it starts with a pick. It's got to be a pick. It's got to be a good one. And I think you look at a guy like, I mean, it's tough because he's injured, but a guy that jumped off the page for me of, of the unprotected was Justin Robinson. Like yeah. I mean, he, he had such a good year leading up to, his injury and talking to him at the finals, it sounds like he's not going to be ready to go until late, late into the season next year. But the good thing about an expansion team, you can sit on some players like that. Like yep. You have no problem drafting them and then shelving them, right? Put them on the IR and, and waiting until he is ready. I know he's an Eastern based player, but newsflash, I don't think there's going to be too many guys, especially <laughs> young guys that are going to have a hard time saying, you know what, I'm going to fly out to Vegas every weekend or every few weekends. Like that's not going to be a hard sell at all. So I, I think it's got to be a pick and then, you know, a young talented player and not necessarily a, a prospect. I think it has to be a player that's proven they can play right now. What do you uh, think? Um, what's that? Uh, yeah. What do, you, what do you think? I don't know, man. Like obviously the pick is, is a no brainer. Um, But me, like maybe it's not, maybe it is Connor Fields, and you ask for Brad McCulley and a pick. Yeah, right? that I, would I make think sense that's too. probably the ask. Um, you get you get Brad McCulley who played sparingly, but he has the ability to play both ways. He can play on the backside. He can play out the front door. Uh, he's big. He's athletic. Um, so I think that's a guy being a Western guy as well would make sense. And then and then a pick for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Maybe they don't do the fieldsy thing and they just take McCulley. But I, I think he got if with Fields sitting there, he, he can't not. Like you have to take him because he's got the most value to get in return. So you can take him, get a young player, end a pick or two, uh, probably not two, but end a pick and, and move on from there. Um, Georgia, we both agree uh, that Connor Curse could be a guy. Um, that they look at, especially being 
uh, you know, the, the year that he had as a rookie to the indoor game. You like Robert Hudson. I kind of like Ethan Riggs as well. Um, so there are a few different ways that Georgia could go. Is there any, like, why do you feel Hudson? Well, again, Williams is an uh, Ontario-based guy, and I know he's probably not going to go too, too heavy Ontario, but at the same time, that's kind of your, that's your comfort wheelhouse. nest. That's, that's yeah. your wheelhouse. That's what you know. And he's seen a lot of Hudson, and he's a guy that I think, I don't want to say was a disappointment this year, but maybe he was not as, maybe he wasn't, he didn't have as good as a year that I had that yeah. I expected out of him because I've yeah. seen so much from him and I've seen how dynamic he can be and how, how much of a game changer he can be. And he was just solid. That's all he was. He was very solid. So I think when you have a guy like Robert Hudson sitting there, you know, a former first round draft pick, like why not? go and grab him. A guy like Ryan McSpadgen also certainly would definitely be interesting to grab. But for me and Riggs too, that's a, a, a big body, uh, raw, raw, raw. It's a, it's a, it's a big project. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly when you see that, that, that frame, it's hard not to get him. but I think Georgia has some seriously, uh, some, some solid options for yeah. Sean Williams to take. Yeah, I, I just like the fact that Curse really shone in his first year and with yeah, not a lot of box experience, the way that he came out and he played, like he played in every single game for the George Swarm this year. And that's mm-hmm. rare mm-hmm. for a guy that's never played indoor before. And, and, he, and, he's, and he's a guy that traditionally is more of an offensive player in mm-hmm. the field game like he did play some d mid in high school and a little bit in his college career but when when you look at him play the, f- the field game it's he's a he's a pure goal scorer he's a he's an athlete so yeah, and he, he took I 260 was, draws for them uh wasn't yeah, great but, at the dot but he you know he's serviceable if you ever need to throw a guy in there um it just and, and it's an american that you can kind of market right and we're going to talk about another american that they they can market when we get down the list but I think you kind of have to look that way too. You got to have a good mix of Canadians and Americans. And and I think Connor Kirst would be a great pick there. Ethan Riggs, you kind of talked about it. Still pretty raw. Was drafted by Halifax. Was moved to Georgia. You know, had 13 games. No points. Like there's still a lot to get out of him. But do you want a project like that in that first year? Do you want a guy that you know that can play 18 games for you? So it'll be an interesting debate there. Uh, The next two, Halifax, New York, we both agree on. Max Wilson from the Thunderbirds and Mac Mitchell from the New York Riptide. Mitchell was a former captain of the Orangeville Northmen. Uh, You don't get that recognition without having a lot of talent. And Max Wilson is coming off a knee injury uh, in his final year at NJIT. Never got in the lineup for Halifax. They were really high on him, taking him in the first round. So uh, there could be two really good young defensive prospects coming in the form of Wilson and Mitchell. And I apologize, Teddy. I, I made uh, I made a bit of a boo-boo here. I totally oh. forgot. I had my pick for Halifax wrong. Oh. How Bougie? does Sean Williams not take former Whippy Warrior Dawson Feet? 
Yeah, I think he. I think the only way he doesn't is I know Dawson Feed was in market in Halifax, still playing hockey. I'm not too sure if he still has eligibility, but maybe this is uh, something that Williams plays Kurt's hand and says, "Okay, I'm going to take Dawson Feed. You can trade trade you 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 trade a lot of assets to get him. If you don't want him, I'll take him and I'll sit him until he's done yeah. his hockey career." Or maybe then I get a Max Will, uh, Wilson. Maybe I get a Brandon Robinson out of it. If he's going to get Justin Robinson, why not get get Big Brother and and, and get Brandon Robinson? So yeah, I think I think if there it's going to just be a pick and, and sit on it. Yes, Max Wilson certainly is a great option, and I think it killed this team not to protect him. But yeah. seeing Dawson Thede there, seeing the history between Sean Williams, and I know how much. This Halifax team loved what Feed brought down the end of the year and into the stretch. When yes. things were going sideways for the team, it seemed like he was the only consistent thing in that offense. So I think that that if you do grab Feed, you could get some pieces and some picks back the other way. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, Panthos City, uh, you like the American, young American who's played a lot of U.S. box law jack hannah out of du yeah jack hannah has been this this protege that we've been hearing about the you know one of the first true pure developed uh u.s box la talent that is going to to you know jump onto the scene and we've seen what he's been able to do uh, in the field game and it's remarkable and we've seen what he's been able to do inside the boards mind you a little bit of of lesser talent but with his frame uh, with his skill set, the way he plays the game, he's a guy that I think that Sean Williams sees and says, I can work with this kid. Maybe he's not going to be a stud in year one, but maybe this is a guy that I can get my hands on and really mold him into a solid pro down the road. Philadelphia, uh, we both think Isaiah Davis Allen is their guy. Uh, he has come a long way in the last couple mm-hmm. of years in his development into the national lacrosse league. He is fast, physical, can get up and down the floor, can play some shutdown D for you, but he's a big physical athlete and, and probably one of the best available out of that wings roster out of the back end. Yeah. He, you said it, he's come a long way. Like you can see, and, and, you know, talking to, to Paul day about his, his growth, he said, it's, it's been remarkable and it's been almost day by day, game by game practice by practice. He's just been mm-hmm. continuing to get better and better. He's always been a good athlete and, you know, he's always been able to be that cover guy that can go one-on-one it's, you know, he struggled a little bit in the two man game or his off ball defense, but he's really starting uh, to put it together. And I think he's a guy that, uh, again, another American talent that, you know, you're going to need to to get a blend of Canadian, uh, Indigenous, uh, and of course, Americans as well. You, 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 you can't just fill up on all Canadians here. Um, Rochester, we see them going in different ways. I've got Chris Willman, uh, the defender out of the back end for the Rochester Nighthawks. Uh, I've just enjoyed his game over the last few years. He doesn't do anything fancy. He doesn't do anything flashy. Uh, can score, put up points in transition, uh, is tough, can take draws, has a nose for loose balls. 
So that that is an option. You like Jared Connors. Again, another American here. I think they they go with a couple Americans on the board. I, this maybe is a little bit of a dart here, but you know, you you just look at his raw athleticism and what he's been able to do in the field lacrosse game. And he played, he finished out the season, you know, four games with Rochester and looked like he's got all the tools to become a, a solid player in the National Lacrosse League. He has some transition ability. Um, and, and he's again, you when you're building these expansion teams, especially I think with the luxury that Vegas is going to have, that they're going to be able to attract some really good free agents. I think you can afford to maybe go with a couple of, of lottery tickets here yeah. and you can risk, okay, maybe you, you take a chance on a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience rather in years past teams had to just take almost like the best available player or, you know, the, the, the one player who has the most experience where, whereas here you can get a little more creative. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And and I think the fact that they are going to be quite active in free agency gives them that fluctuation and, and leniency to be able to do that. Um, San Diego, we both agree that it's Justin Getty. And if you can get Landon Kells out of Calgary and Justin Getty out of San Diego, you have two very good young goaltenders that are going to have fantastic careers. And I think that will be a, a really good goaltender duel in camp as well two young guys that will push each other two big goalies play a a blocker style of game but are very athletic and we saw what justin getty could do one game one win in the national league against the scat and rush on the road then he proved that he can play and he's proving it with the nanaimo timmerman in the bc junior league that he can play even has a game in the wla with a win for the senior timmerman so this is a good, good, logical pick to get Justin Getty out of San Diego. Yeah, I, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Obviously, you have, uh, you know, a much better seat uh, with seeing him out West. And, well, we all saw what he did for San Diego. But every single person that I've talked to, um, you know, out in BC has said, this kid is special. This kid is going to be good. And if he's available, you know, why not go and grab him? And I think a lot of people were surprised to see Frank Chiliano not there, but of course, with his situation, uh, with his contract, they elected to go with Chris O'Riglieri. Uh, again, another great young goaltender, but they had, a, they had a hard decision. Is it Getty or yeah. O'Riglieri? They went with the Orangeville product instead. And, you know, Getty's here for the taking. And I think San Diego's just holding and pray, praying and, <laughs> Wishing that, you know, Sean Williams doesn't put his paws all over him and passes him and goes with someone else. But I have a hard time seeing him not getting scooped up. I know a lot of people see the name Courier and think, oh, he's got to go. But we both think Jordy Jones-Smith is the pick from Saskatchewan. Yeah, Jordy Jones, again, another Whippy guy. So he has some familiarity with Sean Williams. He also is a player that... I think kind of has been lost in the shadows of that defense, which is yeah. very easy to do considering when you look at that wagon, the black hole, that is the rush defense, but he's a guy that's proven year in year out. He can be a depth defender and maybe with an opportunity to have a little bit of a bigger role, similar to what we saw with Matt Hosick down in Panther city. Maybe yes. he can become more of an impact player. 
Uh, probably I see him more in a transitional role than a, a guy like Matt Haas, who's more of a shutdown, who can still push and transition, mind you. But uh, I think this would be a good opportunity to maybe spread his wings here. I think with the the emergence of Bobby Kidd the third as a transition yes. star really opened up Jordy Jones Smith to be left unprotected uh, by the rush. I know that kills Keenan to do that again, being a Whitby guy, but I think it's a, a necessary evil to keep a guy like Bobby Kidd and unfortunately lose JJS. Uh, Toronto, you like the PLPA pre of VP Reed Reinhold. Um, what makes you think that Willie goes there? Willie likes a few things in his offensive players. Uh, IQ, grit, and the ability to play away from the ball. And I think that's kind of what emulates Reed Reinhold's game, right? There's not too many guys that you find as offensive players that literally embrace just being an off-ball player and, and setting hard picks and, and freeing up space for other players. Offensive guys, they'll be the first ones to tell you. They, they, they've got egos. They like to score. They like to rack up their points. But when it comes to Reed Reinhold's game, he is a guy – that he knows he goes out there and he crashes and he bangs. And when the ball is in his stick, he can score too if yeah. the opportunity arises. So he's also a Western-based player. I know he loves the Toronto Rock and he loves what Jamie Dowick has, has done for him. Um, but maybe this is an opportunity where he can start a new chapter in his, his career. Uh, I'm going to stay with Western guys. I'm going to say Adam Jay. Uh, he's firmly supplanted himself in the Rock pile and has lived out there for the last few seasons. Um, but as a Western guy, I think that might be an opportunity for him to come back home uh, and maybe find a spot where he can get a lot more minutes because he kind of gets lost in the shuffle of all those talented guys in the Rock organization. And now that Slade is playing well, and Adam Jay, or sorry, not Adam Jay, Josh Jubinville has taken his game to another level. Again, Adam Jay kind of gets exposed. Flyer pick, Paul Rabel. <laughs> get him out of retirement get him out of retirement run him in transition like chris hall did play him for a year and you know build up some hype because eh, even still today the name paul rabel is as attractive as ever to american lacrosse fans and i think it would be a huge selling point if they were somehow able to make that happen but i don't think it does but you never know uh, finally, Vancouver, Tyrell Hamer-Jackson. Uh, we both feel that this is a flip pick. I have no idea what you would try and flip him back for, uh, what you could get back for him. But just looking at that rush unprotected list, nothing really stands out to me. Maybe, and we both feel that Tyson Rowe could be a guy, but it, it's really hit or miss when you look at that Vancouver roster. I mean, I'll be honest. I was floored when I saw that list come yeah. out and and Hammer Jackson wasn't there considering. And I know they love that these two guys and why, how could you not with, you know, Taylor Stewart and Brandon Goodwin being free agents. And mind you, you know, they're, they're not unrestricted or anything like that. But um, just the fact that you would need to still get them under contract once you pick them up. He's such a fan favorite. He's a guy that... That is a great story. Uh, and unfortunately for him, he gets injured down the stretch, isn't able to finish the season. And the team, of course, they had some other issues as well. But it seemed like the team was never the same once they lost uh, Hammer Jackson. And yeah. 
Mitch Gustafson did a great job in relief, but it's just he's such a character guy. So for them to lose him, I think it would be a huge, huge loss, not just on the floor, but in the locker room and in the community. So with that being said, why not pick him up? And then even if you just get a couple of picks back, like at this point, you're an expansion team. You need as many assets as possible. All right. So Um, it, it could be the guy you just mentioned. It could be Mitch Gustafson. Yeah, it could be as well. And coming in, you know, in replace of Hammer Jackson and and just, you know, he he showed that he could be a serviceable draw guy and play some defense. So uh, that will be an interesting decision out of the Vancouver camp. So uh, we're going to be doing a coast to coast special uh, this week with the NLL. So you'll be able to see all our picks uh, before the draft happens on July 7th next week the first members of the Vegas desert dogs will be announced. Uh, One last touch before we get to our guests this week, obviously Vancouver announcing that their head coach, Chris Gill and offensive coordinator, coordinator Caleb Toth wouldn't be coming back. They held on to the services of Curtis Hodgson. So that started the rumor mills going around and who might possibly get the job. Uh, People were thinking maybe Andrew McBride, Maybe um, uh, Jeff McComb, maybe Sato, Ryan, or, um, Rob Williams. But it ends up being Troy Cordingly that gets the job in Vancouver. And he's going to bring Flip Sanderson with him as well. Are you surprised that it's not a Western guy? I'm very surprised that it's not a Western guy because did it not seem like everything we are hearing the rumblings were that they wanted to go with a a Western based guy. They wanted to go with a guy that, you know, if they elect to have midweek practices, he'd be a guy that would be in market and a guy that maybe could help out with some of the grassroots development that they've done such a great job with. But with that being said, I'm not, I'm surprised, but I'm not disappointed by, by the hiring. Like if you want to bring in a new culture to this room, I mean, Dinger is going to be that guy who's going to do it. And 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 him and Flip certainly bring a ton of knowledge and experience into that locker room and onto that floor. Uh, I, I think it's a great hire. I think it's an outside-of-the-box hire, which yeah. I think a lot of people have given this management staff a little bit of flack for not ever really thinking out of the, out of the box and just going with what, what's been comfortable for them. So kudos for them for 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 thinking of something different and going outside of that that comfort zone and going getting a guy who they think is the best man for the job. Um, do you know is Troy Cordingly retired? What's he do for it? Because obviously I know he he's really labored with that hip that he's been, that's been bugging him forever. Um, but is is he working? Like, can he move out west to I, to maybe relocate? I wish I knew. I I actually don't know. Um, that would certainly change things if, if he's going to move out that way. Um, that definitely would explain some things. <laughs> um, the other question I have is, you know, they kept Curtis Hodgson, but now they're, but now accordingly he's bringing in Phil Sanderson, who's primarily a D coach. So either they're going to reallocate Hodgey or were those guys going to have to coach the front door? That seemed like an interesting move to me. 
Yeah, I was, that's something that I was kind of, uh, even when, when they announced the firings that obviously they clearly were happy with what Haji did. You talk to anyone in that locker room, um, everyone just saying his praises and how good he was with that group. So I get it. You don't want to let him go, but at the same time, it's like, you're bringing a new head coach. Do you not want him to also bring in everyone, like everyone he's going to work with? Yeah. I don't know. It, it definitely seems so. I think there obviously will have to be some retooling of the bench. Um, but they they certainly I don't think you know, I don't think Cornley would take the job if he didn't believe that he was able to to bring someone with them and still be able to work with Haji. Yeah. Uh it's just kind of a, a weird move, but we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, you know, I, I trust Troy Cornley's decision-making more than most, uh, but it will be an interesting culture shock, for, I think, for a lot of those guys because Chris Gill was a great players coach. He loved being around the guys. I was obviously never in that locker room or ever in their huddles or ever in their team talks, but just knowing Gilly, I don't think he had – he does – okay. And this isn't a negative thing, but he doesn't have the firepower and attitude that Troy Cordingly is going to bring. Does that make sense? It certainly does. It certainly does. Troy Cordingly is a yeller. Mm -hmm. And he motivates by getting in your face and telling you like it is at often very high levels of voice. Almost kind of John Tortorella-ish. I just don't know how that will be received in that locker room in Vancouver. It will be a massive culture shock for those guys to have Troy Cordingly constantly barking at them. And I don't know how it's going to be received. Maybe it's for the good because maybe this team needs to be held a little more accountable and needs that kind of very aggressive push from their head coach. So that is one thing I'm definitely going to keep an eye on how it plays out in that locker room with that organization, with their new head coach, Troy Cordingly. Now, our guests this week. First up will be Jonathan Donville. Uh, you may have heard of him. He was a first overall pick by Panther City, going to make their offense a whole lot better with Randy Stotts and Patrick Dodds on the right side. But he's also stepping into the broadcast booth is he's doing some Ontario Junior A games along with the great Matthew Carrick. And then we will talk with Peter Milliman, the head coach down at John Hopkins, who will be helping leading the Haudenosaunee and the Iroquois Nationals to the sixes at the World Games this summer down in Birmingham, Alabama. It is a great endeavor for him, and he's thoroughly looking forward to the challenge. And we hope you enjoy both our conversations with producer Donnie and Coach Miller. Joined now by the, let's see, newest member of the Canons, newest member of the lacrosse media family, and maybe a future MVP, as Patty predicted on social media. We're joined now by John Donville, producer Donnie, as many of you know him. Donnie, how are you, brother? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, no worries. Um, how did you get hooked up with the back of the birds, boys? So it was last summer and I was uh, playing a little bit and then getting ready to go back to school. And there is some guys, a bunch of pro guys playing in these runs at the track. So it was yeah. kind of like a pickup game. And 
So I was there playing and uh, Paul was actually, I never met Paul. Uh, he was just talking to someone on the bench about how, about the podcast and kind of mentioned that they were looking for a producer and they had some guys reaching out with, with no experience. And I just kind of happened to be sitting there and uh, I had some experience at Cornell uh, doing this kind of thing. So I was like, I went up to him and was like, Hey, you know, I could, I could do it. Um, and then kind of sent him an email that night and that was it. Wow. So just kind of, right place, right time over here in a conversation. But what was your experience at Cornell? So my, my junior year, we ended up, or, uh, I started a radio show. So my junior fall, we had, uh, it was my, a teammate of mine and then ended up adding, uh, one of my friends from the women's hockey and lacrosse team. So it was three of us, uh, called, called it fun guys radio at the time. The Raptors had just won. So, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was from three to four o'clock on Cornell internet radio. It was, it was a, Great time. I think the most listeners we had at one time was probably like nine people. Um, but it was a really good experience for me to get behind the mic. As you guys know, it's yeah. it's not like an easy thing to do, and I still have a lot to learn at it. But to kind of get some of my mistakes out in uh, basically as low pressure of an environment as there is was was great. And then uh, so my that year it was live, and then my senior year we tried to do the same thing, but the studio was closed because of COVID. Um, so then it was, we had to record it and, uh, and then kind of like send it in and it would play live. So that's kind of how I got the podcasting experience was, uh, we were basically doing a weekly podcast. Nice. Well, I see you were a graduate from Cornell in government and history. So obviously when then you went to Maryland, you decided to narrow in on journalism. Was, was that always kind of the plan once you knew that you were going to do a postgrad that you wanted to go into journalism or broadcasting? Yeah, that pretty much. Uh, once I knew that I would have a chance to do the master's, I knew I didn't really want to go the MBA route and knew I wasn't looking for, um, you know, anything longer than that, uh, longer than a year or a year and a half. So uh, I, I wanted to do journalism when I was kind of a kid and in high school, and then I got away from it a little bit, just kind of, you know, was looking at other options throughout undergrad and then really realized partially with the radio show and a, a couple other things that, like, hey, this is what I want to do and this is what I enjoy. And um, so then I kind of realized that I was going to go the journalism route and there was some some harder skills that I thought I needed to learn in terms of video and audio and all that kind of stuff that I thought I needed to go to journalism school for. And how's it dealing with the divas of Dan Lomas and Paul Dawson? <laughs> no, they're great. Uh, they're great. It, they're, they make it super easy. Uh, they do all like the scheduling and, and preparing the notes and stuff. So most of my work happens, uh, well, all of my work happens after, yeah. after the podcast, after we record. So yeah, they're great. They're really good at what they do. And, and, you know, they started this thing. It's, it's their, um, it's their creation. And as you guys know, putting yourself out there is not easy and, and kudos to those guys for, for having the, uh, the courage to do it. As it kind of sits back, but still kind of contributes to the show, who's kind of been the, the one guy that's come on that, you know, you're a lot younger than, than those guys. Who's kind of been that, that older or next future gen or past generation guy that's come on that you'd be like, man, I never thought I'd get a chance to interview this guy. Well, Bob McKenzie was one, uh, obviously uh, not. He's got, he's yeah. tied to the lacrosse community in a few different ways, but not directly lacrosse guy. And then we, we interviewed uh, John Tavares, the lacrosse John Tavares. And that was just kind of a, you know, holy crap what am I doing here? I was in a hotel room at the time being like, yeah, I'm talking to John, Johnny T right now. It's not a big deal. Um, so that, that was pretty cool there. I mean, there's so many guys, you go down the list of guys we we've had, 
um, it, it's been incredible, but a lot of the guys, like you mentioned, are younger. So, you know, I've had a chance to meet them or my brother played with them or something like that. So meeting those guys who are a little bit older was definitely cool. I know it, it took like two and a half years for, for Lomas to get me my cottage spring stuff. <laughs> I will admit I am a big fan of the program. Love the show. You guys are doing awesome things. Uh, obviously you're doing uh, other things in media right now related to lacrosse. Uh, working with the OJLL, doing uh, some some content for them, but also on the broadcast, and that's where Teddy kind of uh, talked about it off the hop. Uh, I've been blown away with how how uh, well of a job you've done on those. How much fun have you been doing uh, some some color for some junior games? Yeah, it's been a blast, and I think you know one thing I think is important for people to realize is what Matthew Carrick has done, being essentially a one man band calling the game. I don't know if people realize how hard that is. Like I, I've seen people do it for other sports and it, it's ridiculous what he does. So uh, to, to kind of just be able to help him and, and provide another voice uh, has been great. And yeah, it's been a blast. You know, I, I love this game. We all, all three of us love this game. And um, you know, I, I want those kids to get the, the exposure that they deserve because they're the best players in the world uh, for their age group. And it's been really fun. I've been lucky to call some really good games so far too. So that, that's made it pretty easy. And uh, it's just great, honestly, to be back in the barns again and get to chat with the coaches and stuff like that. A lot of, you know, who I've, I've met over the years and stuff like that. So it's been a really good experience so far. When when you call games, I don't think people realize how hard it is. You know, a lot of people think, oh, they just turn on a microphone and words come out of their mouth. What was the hardest adjustment for you to actually, you know, stepping in the booth and doing color commentary? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, is trying not to talk over each other, right? Trying to get that chemistry with the, whoever's doing the play-by-play and, and realizing that as the color guy, you're you're probably going to be talking a lot less um, than the other guy, which is important. And then I think just trusting yourself and not stumbling a- across your words. That's the biggest thing is saying, is realizing like, you know, I'm, I'm trusting myself that I read the game, like I'm reading a situation right and that, you know, I, I'm making a good point. And I just got to make it, so... Um, trying not to stutter or, or say, you know, and stuff like that. that. That's probably my biggest challenge so far. Yeah. We all you have, have our dream media job <laughs> as Patty and I just talk over ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're yeah, still but... figuring it out. <laughs> Zoom is Zoom, like online is so hard to not talk over yourself. Right. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, do you have a dream media job, like a, a league you want to be in at the end of the day or a, a sporting event you'd love to cover? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think you know, the the landscape of lacrosse media is so open. It's, it's there's a lot of exciting stuff, and you know, I, I think there's a possibility that my dream job that I end up with when my career is over doesn't exist yet because lacrosse is going in so many kind of interesting directions. So, wherever I can go in lacrosse would would definitely be like the first dream. And then, um, you know, good Canadian boy, I'd love to work in hockey in some capacity in the media side, even if it's not something on air, but. Uh, media relations or something like that I think would be interesting down the road so just trying to get a feel for different things that's why I've never haven't done a a ton of broadcasting stuff so this summer's been a really good experience just kind of get a taste of what that's like and then go go from there believe it or not you're you're not just a a media star you're a pretty good lacrosse player as well so let's dive into that big news dropped today uh, as we're recording this, picked up by the Cannons. Uh, how excited are you not only to to get an opportunity to play with the Cannons here, but also besides, uh, you know, one of the best lacrosse players on the planet in Lyle Thompson? Uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, a former coach of mine just texted me and said, 
you know, you, you get said picks for Lyle Thompson. And I said, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more thankful to coach Quirk for, for picking me up. And, um, my visa situation is uh, behind me now. So I'm eligible to play, which is nice. And just excited, you know, that's the best field of cross league in the world and all the best players, guys who I've looked up to for a long time. So to get an opportunity to try and earn a spot in that league is really exciting. And I'm looking forward to, to doing that when my time comes. Is that why you were released? Like you, you haven't been on a roster yet just because of the visa situations? Yeah. So I was on the chaos roster yeah. for a couple of weeks and then uh, was held out because of the, uh, there's some visa issues and then ended up getting released when the NLL guys came back. Uh, but coach towers was so respectful with me and, and just kind of gave it to me straight. And I, I really appreciate the way he handled everything. And um, obviously I know all those bandits guys coming back and how good they are. So um you know, it wasn't a, there was no conflict or anything like that. And I really appreciate the way I was treated there. Just, you know, it's the best league in the world for a reason. There's a lot of good players. We know the chaos obviously play a very hybrid box, uh, you know, style of offense. But as we mentioned with Lyle, Shane Jackson, there's a lot of box lacrosse influence on that Cannons roster. How much do you think you'll be able to fit in this this lineup and, and produce off the bat? Yeah, I think you're seeing a lot of box elements in all the offenses really across the uh, across the league. And you see it in college, too. There's not a college team that doesn't have, you know, a two man game in somewhere in there. So, um, yeah, I just hope I can kind of play my game and uh, be great off the ball, hopefully. And, and, you know, when I have the ball, try to get to the goal. I think it's a league where guys try to make you earn slides. And uh, certainly I got to prove that I can get to the goal. But. Um, I, I just want to do what's asked of me and, and get in there and play, focus on playing hard and, and hopefully the rest will take care of itself. Um, 18-0 national championships with Maryland. You beat your former school. Um, how special slash bizarre was it? Uh, uh, that goal and then beating your former teammates and close friends. Yeah. Uh, two good words for it. Special and bizarre. Uh, I love, I love my time at Cornell. I love Cornell university. I love that team. I love those guys. It it was really an academic decision for me, which we already discussed to go to Maryland. And, you know, when I left Cornell, that was the big, that was the hardest part is knowing that there's a chance that, you know, I, I, I could see them down the road or that that team was going to go on a long run. And um, frankly, I wish it kind of had gone a different way, obviously with not like playing, not having to play my, my former team, but, you know, I'm so, very thankful that all of my, my former teammates got to have that experience of final playing the final four as well. And then, you know, tremendously thankful for, for coach Tillman for taking me in at Maryland and just a kind of an unbelievable year is just a, a powerhouse team and, and guys never got complacent and were kind of left no doubt. And it, it was cool to say forever that, that I was a part of that team. Uh, we got coach Millman coming up uh, after you. What was he like at, at Cornell in your years there? Yeah, he was great. I mean, he's the guy who gave me a chance to play college across uh, gave me a chance to play at Cornell, which is my dream school since I was a little kid and, you know, kind of helped me become the player that I was when uh, throughout his time there. And um, yeah, tremendously thankful for everything he did for, for my career. And, you know, I love playing for, for coach million his great experience. They, they talked about it at nauseum on the broadcast. And, and as you know, being a member of the media now, storylines are so huge, but they just kept talking about the pressure of the 18 and 0 becoming one of the greatest teams of all time. Was that something that was kind of discussed in the locker room later on, or is it just one of those things that you guys know how big of a situation it is? Yeah, it, it wasn't really discussed. Um, 
I, I think if there was pressure, it wasn't from going undefeated. It was just, you know, from being that close and to the extent that anyone has pressure. But I, I don't think that we had any pressure from from going undefeated. And I think the best thing that our team did was avoided complacency and guys just wanted to keep going. And I wasn't there obviously the year before, but losing in the championship game the year before was a huge motivator for those guys. And, you know, if, if there's any pressure, I think it might've come from being back in championship weekend again and having the chance to, to finish the job that time. But the undefeated thing wasn't really a big deal. And um, frankly, I, I think guys probably would have preferred not to be undefeated going into the, <laughs> cause it was a storyline that we, we kind of had to deal with and, uh, the media was there and stuff, but yeah, it wasn't really a talking point. And I think it's a credit to, to the leadership of that team and to coach Tillman for, for keeping the guys focused. What were your feelings when uh, you went first overall in the NLL draft? Yeah. I mean, the obvious one is gratitude, right? Just thinking back about, you know, when I was a little kid and uh, so much, so many memories playing this game and, and, you know, so much love for like the community that helped me come up in this game in Canada and, um, it's just a really cool, really cool moment. And, and a lot of friends, you know, a lot of my friends were getting drafted too. So cool kind of for us to all share that moment and just thinking back to, to my family and, and playing this game as a little kid. And, you know, I think one thing my, my dad did a good job of was we always played for just to love, like for the love of the game. And I think that's something that I still carry with me now is like, I love to play this game. And, um, so just thinking about that and obviously excited and, and grateful for Panther city to take me and, you know, it's been a long wait now, but excited to uh, to get going this winter. Well, on that, you probably dreamed about going first overall in the NL draft for many years. But did you ever think it would be to a team based in Texas? <laughs> yeah, no, that's I uh, didn't see that one coming. But uh, I've heard great things about Dallas. Haven't been down there yet. Hopefully get down there at some point this summer in, in the early fall. But uh, it, it's awesome to see the league expanding and it seems like a great market for the NLL. So it, it, it's exciting. Are there guys that you grew up with that are now in the league that you're excited to go one-on-one with? Uh, I don't know if I'm excited to go one-on-one against him, but, you know, playing with Teeter in college, that'll be cool to, uh, to play against him in in the pros. And um, I mean, growing up in Ontario, there's tons of guys I played with and against in the league. So excited to go against all those guys. Uh, Mimico guys, Warren Jeffrey, who I played in high school with too, St. Mike's guys that, that that'll be really special to kind of share that experience. And then, Certainly, all my Cornell buddies and, and maybe a few Maryland ones too. It'll be is, special, but I'm, I'm sure going to talk to you. <laughs> when you guys play Rochester, or like, is Polly going right for you off the opening draw? <laughs> uh, I don't know if he'll go right for me, but I, I don't think he'd think twice about uh, giving me a whack. <laughs> he took liberties on Lomi, so he, he yeah, exactly. certainly do the same yeah. on you. Uh, how closely did you follow Panther City last year? Obviously, quite the story. Uh, heading down the stretch, almost make the playoffs. Yeah, pretty closely. Uh, certainly followed kind of the trajectory of the season and um, really happy for those guys to kind of get it going in the second half of the year. Uh, I, we had, when I, my first year at Mimico with Steve Toll, uh, who's the coach there, we had an expansion team and I know we kind of got some momentum going that year and it was really important for the next year. So uh, really happy for those guys for the years, the second half they had of the year. And I think they're probably counted out by most of the league and, to kind of show that they belonged is, is really cool. And uh, just excited to get down there and try to do whatever I can to help. You guys uh, add Randy Stotts to the fold. Now they're going to add you a healthy Randy Stotts at that. Uh, do you think that this group has what it takes to take a next step and make the postseason in just the second season of his existence? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to get in the business of uh, of making predictions like that, but certainly, I obviously I hope so. I'm going to do everything I can to help. And um, you know, I guess to your former question, guys who you're excited to go one on one against, you know, what a dream come true to play with a guy like Randy, one of the best players in the game, someone I, I've been watching play for a long time and and trying to take things from his game. So uh, excited to learn uh, everything he's got to teach me and, and play with him. So what's next? What's what's on the schedule this week? Uh, got a couple more. I think we got one more game this weekend. Uh, we're broadcasting this weekend. Um, kind of waiting to hear about the uh, the PLL lineup for the weekend. So, um, yeah, just uh, continuing to broadcast. And, and we've got a few other things coming up for the Ontario Junior Lacrosse League, which is uh, exciting. And then, you know, just staying in shape and, and uh, trying to make sure I'm ready when my time comes. It, it's funny. Working with TSN, Pat and I have had some good conversations with our producers and, and the people above us and to help us give us tips and things like that. And um, our, our one sort of boss said that Pat always says um, it's Jonathan Donville doing Jonathan Donville things. <laughs> and I always say this game is an instant classic. Um, do you find yourself saying the same phrases over and over again? Do you have one that you kind of catch yourself repeating? I, I don't know why I've said the word I've called guys slick, like, like a slick finish. I've said, I don't know how many times I've said slick in the last like three years. And I've said it 15 times in the broadcast. So <laughs> I, I got to get some different ideas for how to describe like finishing um, and when guys score. And then uh, I got to be careful. I, I, uh, I used the happy meal one the other day. I think that clips oh, on yeah. Twitter and people seem to like it, but I got to make sure I don't, uh, I don't abuse it. Well, the sources awesome. are a broadcaster's best friend. There you go. Um, okay. So, and, but just never change, man. Do your thing. Call you the way you want. Whatever comes out of your mouth is exactly how you meant to say it. Uh, Patty and I both agree you've done a fantastic job in the early stages, and, and you're bound for great things, not only on the floor but off the floor, man. So keep up the good work. Uh, keep those bird boys in line. And, okay. And uh, appreciate the time, my brother. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We just spoke with his former player, a guy that he raves about, but now he has bigger fish to fry, including trying to win some world championships for the Iroquois Nationals. Peter Milliman from John Hopkins University and the Iroquois Nationals. Coach, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you guys? Uh, yeah, no worries. Um, we were just kind of talking before we started about about Donnie and, and all the things that he does, and and you felt that he was just one of the nicest guys, but also just one of the most versatile players you had. Yeah, I mean, I coached him for a number of years, and uh, you know, just a just a super dedicated, hardworking, um, you know, driven young man. He's got the ability to 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 play. I think in a lot of different scenarios because he's he's a, a, a guy that's easy to play with. You know, he makes makes guys around him better, and uh, and he's and he's focused on the right things, which is uh, helping his team be successful. Right now, in the world of field lacrosse, it seems more and more that box strategies are coming into play. And it's obviously started with the gates and it started with Dave Huntley well before that. But why now is it becoming so much more prominent in the field game that box skills are a necessity? It's a good question. Um, I think there's some relevance to it because of how many more uh, Canadians are playing field lacrosse. You know, a decade or two ago, there was just a small handful. And if you're looking back into like the, you know, 70s, 80s and 90s, there was always like the couple guys, you know, playing in the States or, you know, the Gates, the Huntleys, you know, Mike French, you know, there's there's always the, the, the couple guys here and there that were maybe more more obvious or, you know, just by, 
you know, the luck of the scenario found their way, but, you know, now you've just got, you know, hundreds of, of Canadians playing across the border in college and, and there's more and more coaches recruiting them. And so there's some relevance, there's some obvious correlation there. Um, I also think maybe that, you know, since some parts of the game are, are, are getting a little less physical when it comes to the, you know, the, the way that you can play defense, the way you can protect the net. Um, a lot of the skills are, are, you know, being more uh, prioritized and emphasized and it's bringing a lot of the abilities from, from some box backgrounds to the forefront. Um, I think on the offensive end, for sure. One of the interesting things I've always thought about um, recruiting Canadian guys or, or guys in general, with the box background is that they, they sometimes pick up ground balls more consistently than other field players with their background. And it's not just the fact that they can score in front of the net or that they, you know, have better hands and like they can pick the ball up in traffic or, you know, box out more consistently, uh, you know, and win those scrums. And so, you know, it's not always just the slick plays or the toe drags or the, you know, finishing in front that, uh, you know, that makes a difference. Well, we obviously know the field game in college is getting more box lacrosse oriented, a game that you're coaching now in sixes, certainly the correlations there. Just what's your first impression with the game uh, of sixes? We're lacrosse purists. So sometimes for us, it, it takes a while to, to recognize it, but at first glance, it seems like there's some potential with this game. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, it, it takes a little while to get into it, um, you know, the depths of it, because then it starts to it starts to materialize a different way when it comes to the strategy and the foundation and 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 what really intrigues you, um, you know, strategically. Uh, the systems can can be a kind of a combination of both. It, it's interesting because it's it's five on five on a field one of the biggest uh, points of emphasis we've had to work on with the Iroquois team is not uh, falling into a, into a box routine exclusively because it doesn't, it doesn't always space the field as well as you need to. There's also some different, you know, barriers in box that don't exist in field. The, the goal is bigger and now you don't have a huge, huge goalie in there and they can't cross check as heavy and there's not the body contact. So like you have more space. So when you, when you start, uh, separating into a, a strong and a weak side, then, you know, you're a lot of times just leave an empty space there. Um, honestly, I think the biggest, the biggest similarity and the most relevant way of saying it is it's, ba it's basketball, um, mostly in the mentality of what it takes to, 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 to find the high rate of return on your possessions. Cause in basketball, it's, it's somewhat similar. I mean, there's a rebound in play. There's not as many rebounds in, in sixes, but, if you miss the net, it's not your ball anymore. And that's the one thing that's really different from field and even box is that you've got to value the opportunity as high as it's ever been, like any, as high as I've ever experienced it. Like it's almost, you know, the opposite of box in that regard where you could put volume on a net and you can't do that at this because you just, you know, if it's not a super high percentage shot, you know, what are the chances it's going to go in? Sometimes you're going to need it, but you just, you can't even, I mean, if you miss the shot, if you miss the net from, from eight yards away, it's still a turnover. So you just, you know, you try not to do that. Well, how, how difficult is it to balance that? Cause you want your players to be as creative as possible, especially which we'll get to uh, the roster that you guys have, but with the same time, possession is just so valuable in this game. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's valuing the possession. You know, we're, it's still so new 
that we're all working through, you know, the timing of it and substitution patterns. Like we started to, you know, formulate a plan and what we want to do and, you know, how rigid do we have to be with this? How, how rigid can we be? Are we really sure this is the right one? Um, and, and understanding, you know, how to, how to, how to, you know, organize that, you know, what is, do we have to go up, down, off? Do we, can we go OD? Um, you know, you can't go OD from the other side. You can only do it on the box side. So, you know, there's some, there's some good opportunities there, but we got to have some experience with enough depth in it to really understand. I mean, there's certain guys that may be in shape enough to stay on for a duration. If you, you know, got a shot clock that you can, you can stand, stand there for a couple seconds and catch your breath. I mean, there's, there's probably plenty of guys that can play the whole game. You know, when you look at basketball, you got a sub, certainly the big guys struggle running end line to end line, but you know, I mean, Steph Curry, let's be honest, he's a, he's a freak uh, athlete. He's as good, you know, but he's only going from one three point line to the other one. So it's a lot shorter of a distance. So, you know, I mean, if you got guys that are only going to be in the shooting position, maybe they don't have to go that far, you know, you can start to hang guys and see what it is. So, you know, it's just new, it's new. And, and, you know, I love your reference, like being a purist uh, of, 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 you know, the game and looking at, at, at sixes and, you know, not to be contentious about it, but sometimes I'm like wondering what, you know, a purist in lacrosse, like there's so many different versions already, you know, mm-hmm. like we've got fought, we've got field, we got box, you know, even some international field lacrosse. Like, I don't even know what the heck they're doing half the time. There's no <laughs> clock anywhere. You can just stand next to the goal if you want to and, and, and not clear the ball. Like, so I, I, you know, sometimes I struggle with like, you know, what is it? You know, I almost look at, at the way six is it, it, it's struggle. It's some people struggle to see it and really, you know, agree with it or appreciate it, you know, for, for the opportunity that it is because it doesn't look the same as we've always known, but, you know, spending as much time coaching this Iroquois team and, and getting to know those guys, like, and they've even said it a bunch of times, it kind of feels like a, a purest version for them. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, a bunch of the boys just picking up the sticks and, and running around and, you know, you can't kill anybody because you, you know, you don't want to hurt somebody too much and they don't have equipment on or whatever. And so, it's almost like three by, you know, it's just, uh, it's kind of a pretty, pretty down to earth game. So that's what I like about it. There's less, less of the, it, it's a little bit easier to understand. Yeah. And I think that's the point of it. Lyle Thompson is probably one of those guys that could play four games in a row and, and never come <laughs> off. Um, but the Thompson brothers are more than just players on the floor. They're incredible ambassadors for the creators game. What have you learned from them since joining the program? Hmm. That's a pretty good question. Um, you know, I, I, I would say I've been blown away, um, with, with my experiences and my interactions with them. Um, you know, even just bringing Jeremy on, uh, who's, who's older and has more experience and, uh, has been playing at an international and professional level for a long time. And, you know, he still seems kind of young to me, but, uh, you know, like, you know, how serious they are about the way they play the game and how, I'll say this, this this is a reference. I've I've mentioned this to a few people in the past, but like my first, my first training camp with them uh, was, was about a year ago. And it was just like the first time getting, getting the guys together. And it was my first time putting, putting on a purple shirt and, and uh, you know, getting a chance to coach this group that, you know, really, really is kind of like awe inspiring to, to get a chance to, to coach this, this group, you know, and, 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 and get out there and realize like, wow, I'm actually, I'm coaching some of these guys that like, I've just been in awe of for so long. And, the two most significant takeaways from, from my perspective were that um, it's, it's the most fun I've ever seen a group of guys have 
that I've been coaching, like the, the amount of fun that they have while they're playing. And, and, you know, it was obvious. Like it was clear, like they were really, really enjoying each other and also how competitive they were at the same time. Like those two, you know, completely separate characteristics were overlaid on top of each other where like, they were really like, they have no problem hitting each other as hard as they can and checking heavy and pushing and, you know, but like enjoying it and chirping everybody and celebrating every goal, every successful play. Like they just, they were loving it. And I was like, this is a really great, just a great experience, a great environment. And it was, it was from everybody top down, you know, so there were some younger guys there that maybe a little apprehensive, but you know, they were just, they were kind of like me. They were like, you know, jaws on the ground just to be out there and really enjoying it together. That's awesome. Social media exploded uh, at least north of the border here when they saw 88 back on the field. What's uh, Cody Jamison going to bring to this team, not just on the on the field, but off the field as well? Uh, I mean, a great deal of experience. Obviously, that's a that's a big deal. Um, you know, I wasn't really sure going into this what the what the perfect fit was, what the prototypical, you know, sixes player needed to look like. Is it just all two way guys? Is it, you know, can you just take a, uh, just a, uh, you know, one way definite defenseman, definite offensive guy, this and that. And, you know, I think we learned a lot about it in the process. It, you know, we also need to work on with such a small selection pool, uh, with the Houdini players. I mean, you, you might need to be a little bit more realistic to take the best players that, that we can bring and, and maybe figure out the version of, of the game that's going to work for us. Cause you know, there's not millions and, and millions of, of guys uh, to choose from. So, um, you know, Cody showed up and immediately brought a voice, you know, and, and, and even if he wasn't there from the beginning, they all knew him, knew him and respected him and responded to him. Um, and then I think the most significant thing about Cody in that regard is that uh, he's a winner. And it's not just the fact that he's experienced and been around. Like, I don't even look at Cody as somebody that, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get him in every possession. I'm like, we just need Cody in the last minute of every quarter. We need Cody when we have a power play. We need Cody on an overtime. Like we need to run a play for Cody to make a decision or get a ball in front of the net, not in the first quarter, you know, when the game is on the line. I think that's where, that's where Cody Jameson starts to separate out from some other guys. Like he, you know, I mean, I coached the U.S. indoor team a couple of years ago and I remember like really feeling good about the game we were playing against Iroquois. Like we're doing a great job. We're right there. We're neck and neck. And then Cody got the ball three times in a row in the fourth quarter. It was over. In the third period, it was over. <laughs> I'm like, you give him three tiny little windows and it ended immediately. It was like, wow, mm-hmm. he just, he just decided to score three goals. And it was, it was like, it blew me away. Uh, you know, like big physical guys were doing everything we could. And like, he just, just really sharp in, in finding those seams and, and, and executing there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's too many players that deep, in a game that you'd want the ball in his stick. Uh, he just makes things happen in big moments. And a guy who has been learning under him in, uh, in Halifax and maybe a guy that not a ton of people south of the border have much of an idea at all is, is Nungo Thompson. What have you seen from uh, the small sample sizes in camp uh, from, from a freak athlete like him? In, you know, that same first training camp uh, a year ago, like – a half an hour into it, I turn over to the assistant. I'm like, who is that? And why have I never heard of him? Like, how have I never heard of him? I didn't know who he was. I didn't know where he'd come from. And they're like, he plays for Halifax. And I was like, 
I would have recruited him if I knew he was, you know, a high school kid at some point. And he, and I was like, what is he like 30? And like, no, he's like 20. Like he's, he's, he's a kid still. And uh, I don't know how old he is. He might be 21 or two. He's not, he's not very old. Um, I mean, every, every time I work with him, I'm like getting more excited that there's, there's things in, you know, last fall at the, at the, at the tournament we played against the U S the Canadian team, like just, you know, seeing because he's more of a transition guy. He doesn't have as much offensive experience, but uh, but he's athletic, he's competitive, and and he's got skills. You know, I think he's just kind of still scratching the surface. And I'm like, you know, you get that that ball in that corner, like you're only a couple steps away from getting the, the middle. You know, like you you can run right by these guys. They can't hold you. They're going to have to send somebody or really step up to the middle. So if you get a guy that's not, you know, taking away the top side or the middle, just just go. And he's like, all right, and like less than a minute later he just flies by again scores in the middle of the goal he like looks over at me he's like gives me a nod i'm like dude just just go like you're you're doing you don't need me for this you know like you get it so um i, I love what he brings he's he's got some size and some athleticism more of a like a defensive transition oriented guy but you know really capable on the offensive end and and like i said just still scratching the surface so we're excited about him What's it been like working alongside Roger Chrysler during this this uh, whole process? He's a guy that has just such an extensive knowledge uh, of uh, the box lacrosse game and and a lot of these players that will mm-hmm. be suiting up for your team. Yeah, yeah, he's been great. Um, you know, and, and the, the staff has to come together in, in kind of an interesting way because it's like the limited roster is limited coaching, mm-hmm. but you you need more than just one other person. You know, you need a staff, you need advisors, especially when there's a lot of guys that I don't know as well. And so, you know, Roger and his background in box and, and his, you know, connection with six nations and all those guys there and, and, and how much depth of experience and, and knowledge he has, you know, with the game, not just the roster, you know, he's able to, you know, kind of give a bounce back on different viewpoints and, and see different things strategically and, you know, drawing up plays that, you know, he's coming at from a different, from a different angle than I am. And, and, um, uh, it's been great. I've been I've been really blown away uh, with with the staff that we've gotten uh, we've gotten together because um, a lot of them. I mean, I've, I've known Jimmy Barnes for a long time, but the rest of them were were kind of new to me. Um, you know, mine I've met and talked to before, but you know, Roger I didn't know. Uh, Darcy was new to me. Uh, Jason, like the whole the whole group, um, has really just been a, 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 a really really fun experience getting to know like you know get a bunch of new minds talking about a new game together, and it was like you know, it really starts the wheels turning. That's fun. Um, before that, you go a uh, couple questions, more questions for you. Obviously you've coached D one, D two, D three, some international ball, but um, in 2014, you coached team Russia mm-hmm. and, and with the growth of the game across the world, was that kind of like a bucket list thing? You kind of wanted to, to go and coach a team that maybe didn't have as strong grassroots and, and things in place. Good question. I mean, kind of, I don't want to yeah. say, you know, I had it on a list as like a, a, a target item. Um, yeah. but even just what you mentioned, I mean, coaching the sixes, uh, this summer, I coached the, the world indoor championships two years ago or three years ago. I've coached the, the world outdoor championships. Um, I, I, I just wanted to experience the tournament and, and, and get a chance to, uh, to be a part of, of a really, I think a pretty special experience. And mm-hmm. I had a connection with someone that was on the Russian team. I coached him at RIT. He was living over in Moscow, kind of organizing that club team. And 
he asked me if I would I would be on staff, and and I honestly just thought of it as like I said, a unique and challenging experience. I can't even imagine how that's going to go, but it sounds like yeah, you know, like I, I bet you that's going to be that's going to be great. And like to this day, it's one of the most <laughs> really really unique and at times even super stressful experiences because of the you know the language barrier to say the least but you know some some skill barriers some some experience i mean there was some brand new like literally mm-hmm. competing in a tournament like thinking about this from from a perspective a, a lot of these rivalries come from other sports like soccer or or just general like maybe even political boundaries um mm-hmm. but like the passion and the and the determination to like kick the crap out of france when we're playing france and <laughs> You know, it's a new rivalry for me. I've never seen that from the <laughs> yeah, outside. Right? But like these guys are like, we don't lose to France. We're going to kill France. And, <laughs> and, you know, there's like, so the blood's boiling on the sideline and the guys yeah. are like, you know, fiercely competing. And I'm trying to figure out who knows which end of the field we're defending and, and how to communicate that to them because they don't, you know, we don't speak the same language. And then yeah. it was just wild. Um, but it was over the course of about a week and a half. We learned each other's uh, you know, we learned what we needed. We, we figured it out. We won the first international game in, you know, Russian lacrosse history. And I think we won three and, and, you know, it was just, it was like such a rewarding and, uh, and unique experience. Um, I'll always, I'll always, uh, remember it fondly, but, uh, there was a lot, a lot that, uh, that went, went into that one. That was a challenge for sure. What's next? Obviously, uh, the World Games are coming up for the Sixes. Um, what's the plan for the club, and, and what's your summer going to look like? Uh, the plan for the Iroquois Club or for uh, yeah. Hawkins? Yeah, yeah. Iroquois. So we're we're getting to. Get, I mean, we're leaving in like a week, I think. So uh, we get out there. You know, we we get a practice, and and then we're jumping right into it. Um, you know, we we'll get on a Zoom and and start to organize some systems and and get some film up. Um, and then get in there and compete. I mean, it's, it's a shorter tournament. It's not like some of the other world ones were about two weeks. And this one's, this one's less than a week. The games are shorter. It's only four, eight minute quarters. Um, and so it's, it comes at you pretty, you know, fast and furious. So, you know, we got to get organized. We got to prioritize, you know, where we want to be and what we want to, you know, be doing. Um, you know, that's where, again, it's, it's a lot like basketball, you know, there's, there's some systems, but, you know, when you need Steph Curry to shoot the ball, you've you got to make sure everybody gets it to him. And so, you know, we've got uh, some unique pieces, some I'm, guys I'm just can't even tell you how excited I am to work with and, and, and put together and try and build a, uh, a championship team. Yeah, I think one guy we didn't talk about was Zed Williams um, coming off a, a pretty great lacrosse season, winning the PLL title and NLL title. Is, is he a guy that you're just salivating with a chance to coach? Uh, right now, I don't think he's going to be with us. But uh, oh. if, if there's a possibility, I would I would love it. Um, I just think uh, um, you know we've we've gone through this process. We found a group of guys that uh, that we get to work with. Uh, Zed is super talented. If there was uh, you know like I said a, ma- a way to make that work, it'd be great. But right now, um, you know we get we get twelve guys as the roster is is super tight, and so uh, you know figuring out how to manage that and uh, and and putting it together has has been. Uh, a challenge to say the least because even from the get-go we, you know you have no idea how to how to how to piece it together yet when in doubt get it to cody right oh yeah well there's a few of those because we could do that with lyle we could do that with togo <laughs> a few guys anybody can do it um coach we appreciate you uh it's been a fantastic conversation catching up best of luck uh this summer down at the world games and everything with john hopkins and uh we'll catch up soon appreciate you thanks guys appreciate having me on 
So there are our guests this week, two incredible conversations with producer Donnie and coach Milliman. Uh, you have been able to listen and watch firsthand how Donville has done in the broadcast booth. And, you know, you can hear him being a little shy at times, but he's really starting to find his groove. And you talked about it early on the chemistry he is building with Matthew Carrick is essential to having a good broadcast team. And it took them maybe a game or two, but they're really in sync right now. And it is great to hear another young player wanting to get into this industry and start to give the game a really good, knowledgeable voice. He, he tweeted out when they first announced it and he said it on the podcast. He, he said it, it's, and it's good for him for, for doing this because I don't know if a lot of young aspiring broadcasters would say this, but this just goes to show you how much he loves the game and how much of a you know special person he is. He said, I'm excited to showcase the best young lacrosse talent in the world. And he knows it's, it's not about getting his face out there or, or firing off as many funny jokes in the booth as he can to get clicks or get tweets. He just genuinely wants to grow this game and, and wants to showcase uh, elite young talent in a league that gave him so much. He's giving back. There's people who give back to the game by coaching. Well, what Donnie's doing is he is, is showcasing this league, this great league that has so many great historic teams and great coaches. And I think it's awesome that he's doing this because there's yeah. so many kids that probably would love to do it, but they're kind of, you know, nervous to try and put themselves out there. Yeah. And Donnie's done it. He did it with the back of the bird. Now he's doing it on the broadcast and he, we know how good he's going to be as a pro, um, you know, playing lacrosse, but whenever his career is done, man, he's, he's going to be a, he's going to be a special talent inside the booth or whatever he decides to do. Yeah. And I think for a lot of young lacrosse players out there, if you want to get into this industry, if you want to be a broadcaster, you know, Look what he did. He, he started a podcast at college and he jokingly there's probably nine listeners at the time that are on the <laughs> air. That, that's how we start. That, that's how you get into the industry. That's how you get into the business. You just got to put yourself out there. You're probably going to listen back and say, you know, the, the cliche, oh my God, that's what my voice sounds like. And, <laughs> and you're going to hate it. And you're like, oh my God, I can't do it. But just keep grinding. And then you never know, you know, what door is going to open. Again, like you said, he was playing a little pickup lacrosse and you heard Paulie Dawson say they're looking for somebody to help out right there. He gets his opportunity and now look what he's doing. So super excited to see what he can do this year in the booth. And, and then again, once he gets on the floor for Panther city uh, this fall and through the winter and next year, um, it's going to be great to see him playing some box across again at the highest level. Uh, and then of course, coach Milliman, I, I never had the opportunity to, to speak with coach. Um, but man, he, he has seen some things in his days. Again, he coached at RIT in D3, coached at Pfeiffer, he coached at Cornell. Now he's at Johns Hopkins coaching uh, the Russian national team. Uh, <laughs> he's been with the U.S. and now with the Haudenosaunee. Uh, he has an incredible resume. And I think, you know, much like Coach Marr did with Albany and just letting you know, the the Thompson brothers play their game and just be fluid and creative. I think Coach Milliman is going to have that same effect. and But more importantly, 
I think they're going to show him a new respect for the game and style of playing that will help him in his coaching process. It, it was, it was a really fun conversation just to kind of hear him and his, he's so, you know, relaxed, calm, cool, and collected. And I think that's kind of the, the approach you mentioned that I think he will take. He's not going to be this, you know, military style of, you know, keeping these guys in line and, and running strict systems. He recognizes that he has so many special talented players and why put the reins on these guys when, when they play the best, it's when they're being creative. And he knows that of course he's going to have to rein them in and, and, and put some installs in, but I think he also recognizes that he's in a very special, unique situation. There isn't a playbook out there on the sixes game. Like he is a part of history right now. He has an opportunity where he can kind of try things and, 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 you know, he, you clearly, how many basketball references did he make? Yeah. Like I, you, you better believe that, that coach Milliman right now is cutting up film, watching some stuff in basketball because yeah. we know how, you know, correlated the two games are, but he's probably just trying different things. And, and he's using these guys as resources as well, because you heard him. They said that this is kind of like the purest form of the game to them. And it reminds of them when, when, you know, they were playing in the backyard with their buddies. Let's um, let's talk some PLL as we look forward to another week down south in the United States. They're off to Minnesota this weekend. They are in the hotbed of Baltimore last weekend. So let's see if we can win you some weekend money. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLL. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, box bets time, Patty. And we made our first delve into the PLL last week with our parlay. And we're going to do it again here for week five. We just missed. I shouldn't say just. The, we were pretty far off on, on the total. Okay. <laughs> but the other two games... We went two for three. So yeah. we're heating up. It's fine. It's the PLL. It's uh, as, as the chaos will tell you, it's a long season. Um, at least that's what they're telling themselves that they find themselves at the, the bottom of the standings, but I'm not losing faith with this team. But with that being said, we're not going to bet on them. We're, we're, we're keeping them off the parlay, but what we are going with, it's the Archers minus one and a half against the Redwoods. The Archers are starting to figure things out offensively. The Redwoods, I just don't think this is their year. So we're going to go Archers minus one and a half against the Woods. We're rolling with the Chrome undefeated. Ooh. They're rolling. My boy, Ryan Tarafanko, and everyone's boy, Mike Messenger. <laughs> Maybe the breakout star of the PLL season oh, it went from who's this bald guy to everyone talking about the absolute beast that he is. Who's this bald guy with a, a red beard and one half face <laughs> of eye black. Yeah, exactly. What a freak. So we're rolling with the Chrome. They are going to continue to roll and it sucks going against Jeff T and the Atlas, but we're going with the Chrome. And we're going to close things off. We already mentioned the chaos. We talked to producer Donnie. 
It's the revenge game. We don't know if he's in the lineup yet, but if he is, you know he's going to be stuffing the net. Chaos likes to score. Cannons like to score. Over 23 and a half. Mash that all together. The folks at Cool Bet Canada exclusively are paying this parlay at plus 765. Love that. The final game of the weekend, uh, Whip Snakes and the Water Dogs. Um, are, those games are on TSN this week? I believe so, but if they're not on your TV, you can still get it at tsn.ca. So every sure. single game for the PLL is streamed. Just looking at this right now, Teddy, it looks like every single game in south of the border is on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. It's on ESPN+. Plus. So that doesn't mean that it's not on, on TSN because – I think it was week one. There was two games that folks in the U S didn't get on their TV, but because of whatever programming wasn't going on on TSN, they were able to pick them up. But I think with Wimbledon going on, I I would have to say that it's probably just going to be on TSN.ca, but that's fine. You still get lacrosse on, on your device. Starts Friday night, July 1st, Canada day. And then again, the final two games, Saturday, July 2nd. And as always, thanks to our friends over at CoolBet Canada. If you want to play along, head over to CoolBet.com, find the lacrosse tab, and play along. Uh, and as always, stay cool. Bet responsibly. Absolutely. All right, before we get out of here, a couple more things. Uh, Road to the Founders, Patty, we kind of mentioned it off the top of the show uh, Thursday. A massive game for the iHeads in Junior B playoffs. Yeah, we're we're down 0-2. We're backs against the walls, do or die. Every single cliche that has ever been uttered has been uttered. But uh, we're not giving up. We didn't hear no bell. 8-7 both games have been really, really close games. So uh, we're, we're hoping uh, to keep this series alive. Uh, it, as Connor Robbins said, the most dangerous animal is the one backed into the corner. So roll eye heads. Let's go. Absolutely. How is the sham wagon the going? The streak is over. Oh, okay. We, uh, we ran into Nanaimo last Wednesday, and they were just the better team. Um, the coaching staff and the players, we kind of got caught up in the officials a little too much. Uh, yeah, We yeah. didn't get too much help. But at the end of the day, I think losing that game is a massive learning lesson for our group. Um, as my co-coach Tyler says, uh, it's not a loss. It's a learning experience. So, you know, I think we can regroup from that. We played on Saturday. We beat Burnaby 20 to four, and then we were supposed to play Richmond on Sunday and they only had like eight runners and a goalie. Um, so they just forfeited. So, uh, we've locked up the league title. Uh, now we got one more game Saturday and then playoffs will start, uh, next weekend. So, uh, we're rolling. We had a bit of a stumbling block, but uh, full steam ahead heading into the last weekend of the regular season. So Founders Cup again goes August 15th to the 21st in Branton, and we will keep you up to date as we get through the playoffs and closer to finding out who will be the teams headed to Brampton. Um, if you are in Ontario and you want to watch as much lacrosse as you can, the MSL just announced their local TV deals, and there's a lot of lacrosse on TV out there right now. 
It's it's awesome. It's it's really cool to see that local television's picking up uh, every single game uh, for MSL this year. Yeah. Uh, there's as the re- or I shouldn't say the re- release. There wasn't a, a, a release yet. Um, there was just a, a couple of tweets and an Instagram post, but I'll go through it. So for Brooklyn and for the Six Nations Chiefs cable broadcast of every single Chiefs and BLC home and away games wow. will be available. Then also a live stream of every Chiefs BLC home game will be available with game highlights for your TV, which is in Peterborough and Coburg. There will be cable broadcasts of every Lakers and Kodiak's home and away games, including game highlights, but no online stream. So it looks like Rogers TV is the only one that will uh, supply the stream. So they do say that the Super Sports Pack service is available for customers of Rogers, Kojiko, and Eastlink in Ontario. Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, and Newfoundland. So it's not just Ontario. Yeah, that's awesome. It is a good chunk of Eastern Canada as well. So that's pretty cool. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I think many, many weeks ago, I said I came about this. And shout out for me for not breaking the news and just kind of saying it by passing by an accident. But it turns out the Super Sports Pack you can get every single game available. So uh, this is awesome. And say what you will about this this mess that has been the start of the ML, uh, MSL season. Yeah. They talked about how this was going to happen. It, it definitely hasn't rolled out the way that they probably wanted to, but they stuck to their word and people in Ontario. And now it seems like in Eastern Canada are going to be able to watch some senior lacrosse, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many people west of Ontario have Rogers, but I wonder if anybody that, that is out west that has Rogers can get that sports package and watch those games. So if you are a Rogers subscriber out west, let me know because I might have to uh, change my subscription. Um, <laughs> four teams in the MSL, Six Nations, Peter Rowe, Brooklyn, Coburg. Last night, Six Nations and Brooklyn tied. Ugh, a tie. I but uh, Six Nations leads on seven points. Peterborough on six at three and one. Brooklyn one three and one sits in Thurdenburg is one and three. So um major series lacrosse.ca is the website out west uh in the senior league. The Adnax are atop the West. Christian Del Bianco is really their MVP right now. I think he had four goals against last night. Shamrocks are in second, followed by the Timmerman Thunder, Salmon Bellies, Lakers, and Berard. So let's look at the senior A standings across Canada. Um, thanks producer Donnie. Thanks to coach Milliman. And as always, thanks to you for stopping by and giving us uh, some time out of your day. Uh, Patty, I, man, I wish you guys the best of luck tonight. Hi, I appreciate it, buddy. We're, we're going to need it. We're ready. We're hungry. Uh, we said it, it's not going to be easy, right? We're taking the long route in this series. So fingers crossed that we have some good news to report on next time we meet. He is on Twitter at P Greg. You can find me at Teddy Jen. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast, or you can find us on Instagram OTCB podcast.
we talk next week, we'll be able to announce, let you know who won MVP, Rookie of the Year, and on the All-Pro teams. We'll re-update you on a Founders Cup run for both the iHeads and the Shamrocks. And we'll have a couple more guests for you as we bring you as much lacrosse news from around the world as we can. Thanks for tuning in. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am-